And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. Kellen, welcome back, brother. How you doing, Alex? And special guest, Father Vince. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, super stoked to have you. You are a TOR friar, Franciscan University, uh, also vocations director That's right, true. For, the, for the province. Yep, province um, of the most sacred heart of Jesus. Nice. Is that the entire like US TOR or? Effectively. So okay. Father Don Fransco is actually with the other uh, province, Immaculate Conception. But so we comprise the same area geographically. It's kind of a, a funny backstory. So for people who are like not Catholics or even Catholics are, okay, what's the difference between a friar and just like ordinary priest? Okay. So kind of basic background is the idea of a religious community. So you have those of us who are friars and then you have monks and then you have other religious uh, Jesuits and the list goes on. But so in a normal parish in a diocese, you have diocesan priests. And so they are attached to the diocese under the direction of the bishop directly. He tells them where they're going to go, what they're going to do, and then goes from there. But for us, as religious, we have sort of an independent community, effectively. And then we are assigned internally from our community. And if we're ordained priests, which isn't necessary, uh, then we'll end up in a parish. But all in all, it's kind of like a parallel track of obedience hmm. it's an interesting hmm. kind of thing so but the core difference <clears throat> is we live in community we profess vows and then we have our own sort of autonomy as a community and so the spirituality is really hmm. kind of the core difference and it has like a specific mission for like particular orders do different things right 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 well so it's it's kind of both end so the spirituality drives the mission hmm. okay. although for some for some communities like apostolic life the mission drove why they became a community in the first place. So like Jesuits went on mission. That's why they even got together in the first place. Right. The early Franciscans too, a lot of them went on mission, correct? They did, but they joined Francis because of who Francis was and how he followed the Lord. And so that sense of the spirituality and the community then led them out. So it's kind of a matter of what's, what's primary in the life. And your guys is, you know, training to become a priest did you guys have to do like a lot of extensive like research on St. Francis, like especially to become a Franciscan friar? I mean, like, was there like in your studies, like whole units just dedicated to St. Francis? So actually we spent a whole year, <laughs> effectively we call that the novitiate year. Mm-hmm. And it's this really intensive, it's kind of like boot camp, <clears throat> except for the spiritual life, becoming a friar. And it's one year dedicated to not actually taking any academic studies for the sake of a degree, but it's about learning our history, learning about Francis, learning how to pray, kind of delving deeply into prayer and building up that communal life because we're not all, we come in and it's kind of like you join up, but you have no idea who you're going to be joining up with. Hmm. And so you have all those various personalities. It's kind of like roommates. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're just cast into this group that you got. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Except that it's not only for the one year. It's for potentially for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, how many friars are up here at um, Franciscan now? So there's 14 of us on campus okay. and Father Nick is over in Gomming. Father Nick's in Gomming. So okay. he's stationed yeah. here technically, but he lives over in Gomming and takes care of the 
faculty and staff over there. So how's that communal life? Um, like you were saying, you get cast with your bunch of guys that you got, you know? Um, yeah. How is that? It's great. I'm, I love living with these guys in the friary. It's uh, especially over COVID. We played a lot of cornhole, <laughs> <laughs> nice. but, but the, uh, the core aspects of our life, the common prayer, we come together, morning prayer, evening prayer, have dinner together, occasional other meals throughout the day as it's possible. We gather together and celebrate mass together as much as we can. Obviously there are a lot of masses on campus, so we're, we're spread around a bit, Right. but then we come back together for those sort of hinge points of our day. Hmm. How did, you know, common life in the friary on campus, how did that change, if at all, uh, with COVID? Like, I know you guys said you probably played more cornhole than usual, but in other ways, how did, how was your guys' like lives affected by COVID? One of the weirdest things was the fact that we're usually very busy with the university. Friars are really integrated, really active, going to all these different things. And then all of a sudden it was like, we went from a hundred percent to like 2% right? because we, we were on mission trip, spring break. And then all of a sudden we come back, everything's shut down. Nobody comes home. Nobody comes back. The only thing we're doing is confessions once a week. Dang. Like that's it. Were you doing them on campus? The confessions? Yeah. Yeah. We had them in Egan actually. So we we converted the, we converted a classroom. So it was one classroom per (laughs) As a confession. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it worked out really well. Wow. So your classroom may have had a confession. Yeah. (laughs) If it was first floor, you definitely did. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's super cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So so with that, that was like the ministry aspect. So Mm -hmm. we had to, and we had obviously other things. So those friars who are are professors were still teaching. Those who are in administration still doing that stuff. But any campus ministry stuff just kind of evaporated. So it was really a a chance to get support from the other friars to try and reroute our identity in who we are as Franciscans. Wow. How long have you been a priest now? Coming up on two years, October 27th. Wow. Congrats. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Two years. Congratulations. You're still Thanks. fairly uh, new ordained. <laughs> I know I'm bald, but nobody would guess. <laughs> <laughs> two years. Uh, wow. Yep. That's awesome. Okay. A question I've always wanted to ask for like a new priest. Um, what was the experience of like your first like elevation at mass? Hmm. Like, what was that like? A little bit surreal, just the fact that you go through such a, a long process. And it, it's, it's this interesting dynamic because as Franciscans, our core identity is in being professed as friars. So this affiliation with Francis. But then being ordained is a whole other series of commitments that you go into as far as the for the sake of ministry. Mm-hmm. But to be able to celebrate Mass and have prepared for so long, because a, a seminary degree is four years, plus a ministry year in the middle, so it's five. So it's it's quite a long process. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> plus all the other formative aspects of it, mm-hmm. and then being a deacon for a time, and uh, so to be able to say words with intention and for the Lord to become present, that bread is no longer just bread, wine is no longer just wine, is just incredible. And it's you who are right, know, right. That I'm saying that the words. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You're yeah. The like one the, saying the words. That Christ is in and through me as his ordained minister. Yeah. How about likewise with first confession? Um, it's uh that's it's it's kind of one of those funny things you hear it sometimes among priests where like there's so many fulfilling and beautiful aspects 
of the ministry where confession is um it's so personal hmm. in the sense where it's just one-on-one just helping somebody in their most humble spot because we all have stuff that we struggle with we right. all need somebody to help us and to be able to provide that kind of direction but to be open to the holy spirit <laughs> for the holy yeah. spirit to kind of drop something in and say okay like go in this direction it, it's it's hard to describe because it's not necessarily like words that you hear, but if you're open to it, a sense of where the movement is of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Do you think confession is one of those forgotten about sacraments these days? Like, not I know here. that, yeah, I know. <laughs> not here. Yeah, like, definitely <laughs> week or definitely not here. Uh, Alex and I, we've done extensive podcasts on this where we think, obviously not here at Franciscan, but in just in the United States and around the world that there's not enough confession times. There's not enough days where they're having confession. Like you'll see, like in my hometown, I think we have confession on Saturdays and I think that's it. Maybe one day during the weekday, but if, is it even too much to have it every single day? Cause like I went into confession with a priest once and he said, I said, Oh, father, I'm sorry if it's not a good time. I like went after mass or something. And he was like, no, no, it's, it's always a good time to confess your sins to the Lord. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it varies with each priest, but do you just think that we don't have enough confession? Like it's one of those more forgotten about sacraments these days. Well, I don't know if it's the priests who forget it. Uh, It's mixed. It's mixed. Because sometimes there are obviously faithful who wish to receive the sacrament more frequently or have it more readily available. At the same time, um, I know there are different places where a priest will just sit there for an hour or two hours, nobody comes. And so it's kind of this tension of like making it available, but also people coming. And, it, and it's, it's, it's this interesting thing where like, who's responsible for the fidelity. <laughs> it's kind of a both end. Right. Where I think honestly, if people realized what profound graces can come from it, it would, you'd really have a whole lot more activity because like here on campus, it, it's just, it's all the time. Now, obviously it's, it's a large, heavily invested Catholic population. A lot mm-hmm. of friars are available. I mean, there's 14 of us and each of us here is three hours a week plus additional appointment times. Wow. So do the yeah. math. <laughs> you got a yeah, lot. And the lines are long. Right, Everyone's right. going for confessions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that we're like worse sinners than everybody else, but <laughs> maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> we're more aware of it at least. More aware. Yeah. <laughs> That was one of the first things I noticed with Franciscan is like how many confession times, how many mass times. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so amazing. Um, yeah. And it's a testament to, to you friars that you're going to make the sacraments available for the people. Confession, yeah, Eucharist, yeah. like you can't avoid it. We, we were even having, was it like four masses a day earlier? I don't we're know. We're having the, five now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Five we've, masses that's per day. <laughs> yeah. Per day. Well, so, well. so there's another point to this whole thing where this is kind of a bigger picture church dynamic that makes it a little complicated because a lot of times, especially in these more diffused dioceses where they're having a struggle to get enough priests and stuff like that, there's so much extra work. Because I was in a parish for about nine months before I came to Franciscan, so down in Northern Virginia. And it was a really, really good setup down there because it's, it's a big place, a lot of staff, you can kind of manage it. But in most places, the priests have so much administrative responsibility that they're just burned out or they don't have the yeah. time. 
Yeah. Mm. So it's a thing where if we can find ways to sort of relieve the administrative burden Mm. from priests and parishes, they'd love to hear more confessions. I'd almost Mm. guarantee it. Almost all of them, Mm. if not all of them, because they're just so overworked doing the books, parish council, planning homilies, which is just your basic stuff, sacraments. But then you also have every time the roof starts to leak, every time like you have to talk to the lawyer because the neighbor is deciding to encroach on the property, like the list goes on. Yeah. So to be able to have somebody sort of take on that responsibility, in some sense, that's kind of the original role of the deacon. Yeah. Okay. How do you, so obviously, yes, you have deacons there, but- how can you relieve the stress, like the administrative stress on a priest? Like how can, does that mean, you know, bringing more priests to that area or having more deacons or what what kind of, what does that entail to, because like you said, there are a lot that are just so thwarted with stuff that just like, I, I literally don't have time to give more confessions. I'm trying my best, but I can't do it. How do we make sure that there is less stress on them so they're more ready, readily available for the sacraments for the people. What, what kind of, what, what do you do to help a priest with that? Well, it's a, it's a challenge because there's a certain amount of responsibility, especially the pastor has the full responsibility of shepherding the community. So, and it's tough depending on personalities and dynamics related to that. But just something simple as finance, where he's ult- he's kind of the ultimate one responsible for it, but very few pastors have actually had the uh, financial training to be able to run the multi-million dollar organization that a parish is. So to be able to find ways to support that in a professional way, that's the challenge. Mm. Because you can't just have somebody who does their own taxes run the finances of the parish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you might, you might be able to make it work, yeah. but it's, you might be a really nice guy and yeah, be a yeah, good yeah. Catholic, but you know, right. can you do your finances? Right, uh, right. right. <laughs> and, and the other hard thing is, so there's one aspect of like volunteering your time. If you have the skills to take on certain things at the same time, acknowledging that there may be, maybe the pastor got burned before. So like you may, you might be a plumber and you can replace the boiler in the parish and you might be really good and will have a really good intention. But maybe the guy who did it before you all of a sudden did a really shoddy job and ended up charging, needing to pay a lot of money out of the parish to have it repaired five years later. So like the pastor might be a little bit hesitant. So that's the, that's the <laughs> hard line to walk because they they need the help, might want the help, but they're afraid to get the help because it hasn't always gone well. <laughs> so to be able to, in some sense, just to support them emotionally <laughs> and yeah <laughs> just to to let them know that you support them that you care for them can really go a long way just simple stuff little comments in in the positive cuz they get so many negative comments like oh why did you say that in your homily or <laughs> and any number of things why did oh, you man. why did you why don't that, we have my pew available <laughs> is well you're just talking about the administrative part yeah, I, yeah, i'm thinking yeah. in general the priesthood like what a very unique and difficult time it is to be a priest. I mean, Amen. you have, you know, all the, I mean, you, uh, we don't have to, the whole sex abuse stuff that came 10 years ago. And now the culture at large is just like totally anti-priest, 
think they're, you know, anti-Catholic church in general, but then you add on that there's less priests, there's more administrative tasks. You're saying you have a growing number of Catholics who are becoming more kind of like extreme in their views about how the modern church is traditional and in, but in an extreme way, like it's all, you know, my parish's fault and my priest is messed up. And then his homilies not like I had um, a priest friend who uh, like priest a really great homily or whatever. And, and then got like a note outside of his car that was like, you know, I thought this homily was terrible and I'm telling the bishop and all this stuff. And that type of stuff for me is like, not only do we have the world against us, now we're having like even people at your parish who are going against you and stuff. Um, maybe I could ask it like you as vocations director now, <laughs> right? And um, how do you how do you counsel like young men who are, you know, seeing all the the real challenges of a priesthood and saying like, no, it really is worth it, like even in this difficult time? So yeah, as far as like priesthood religious life. I mean, both both of them face that challenge. Now, diocesan priests face a, a particularly unique challenge because they're sort of out on their own a lot of times, so they're exposed more readily to that. They don't necessarily have as much positive support. Mm. But to encourage someone who's discerning, really, you could look at it in any number of ways, but one of the big things is, like, do you think this is true? Do you think that what we do is true? Because if you don't, you might as well not try it. <laughs> because it's not worth it. Like if you think it, if you think you're coming in for uh, the accolades, for your ego to be built up, because you get to stand in front of a bunch of people and talk on a regular <laughs> basis, like it, it's. I mean, those might be things that some people get, but mm -hmm. the church, the things have changed. So you, it's it's kind of like going in knowing that you're in for a fight, except that. So the, the, one of the most profound things is to look at priests and religious who have put the time in, they've put the work in, they've given their lives, and they don't regret it. But even me, I mean, I've only been a priest two years. I've been a friar since I uh, was a novice in 2012, professed for a in 2013, so seven years. Excuse me. And I don't regret it. It's worth it. Even as short a span as that has been, mm -hmm. there have been little challenges here and there, some bigger, but it's a thing where it's so, so much about where the Lord has led. Like if I believe that the Lord has led me to this point, yeah. Like it's, even if, so like a friend of mine, he was, uh, he's a Capuchin friar. So from the Pittsburgh province. He was in seminary on track to be ordained and professed vows, and he was almost a deacon. He was going to be ordained in a couple couple months. He was out riding his bike, had this like weird fluke thing. He kind of like hit a bump and jarred some stuff, and he ended up having massive internal bleeding and died a couple days later. Like, great man, great man, and just such a tragedy at the same time. He lived it so well. I mean, he never finished seminary. And yet he lived it so well. I mean, to some extent, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up blessed someday. Huh. I mean, he's that, 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 that holy of a guy. Mm -hmm. But very humble about it. So like your faith, it can get you, you know, if you really believe these things, you believe the power of, of, you know, God working in your life, like 
you can see it through it. It is possible. It's not like it's impossible, you know, to, to live this out. And I've had, um, two priests I've known, uh, leave the priesthood. Um, one actually went here. Well, there's another, um, you know, like Jonathan Morris who left the priesthood went here as well. Um, and that to me is, uh, my, my dad told me this one time he, cause I've thought about priesthood somewhat. Um, but he told me, Alex, if you join the priesthood and leave, I will kill you. <laughs> I will find you and I will kill you. Whoa. And uh, oh, just so because do I don't commit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he said, if you're going to commit, you're going to commit. So I was like, okay, mm. well, glad to know that. Or maybe I have to flee the country. Love somewhere. you too, dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, his point, if you're going to be serious and like take that oath. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's the same with marriage too. Right. Um, but it, it really, and I think a number of Catholics today know either, um, I have another friend who, uh, knew a priest and he left the priesthood and got married to his boyfriend. And it, like that type of scandal that comes out of that is just, it's just, it's, it's terrible, but it's like your faith. If you do, if you believe and you continue, even through those hardships, you can get through it. Um, but yeah, it can be a real scandal to people when people leave, uh, when people oh, leave yeah. the priesthood, same with married life. Um, well, it's, it seems like uh, such a scary thing, you know, if somebody can, because the priesthood is like one of the most beautiful gifts that we have, it's such a gem. And if you have somebody that, you know, joins, but then for some reason leaves, you know, it's, to me, it's almost like suspicious, but at the same time, it's, I don't know anybody's situation. I, I don't know even necessarily if that's a bad thing to to leave maybe because you have, well, I don't know. Maybe you can ex- talk about more of this father, but is it really, a, is it a bad thing if you enter and then you leave? Like if like just assuming that you don't even know their circumstances, is that like an immoral thing to do? Or is it if the person has a legitimate reason that he cannot continue this any further? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of, it's a tough thing to navigate. So is it immoral? Is it not? I mean, in the sense that the church gives permission, has a has an avenue for that to take place. It's, it's probably not immoral in the strict sense. Hmm. Um, now, is it a factor if you, so if I was hypothetically to put myself in a situation that would lead me down that track, if I wouldn't take care of myself, if I wouldn't seek out assistance, if I needed it, if I was in a tough spot, then that, that's a little bit more on me. But at the same time, sometimes there are situations that come up that are kind of inevitable. I mean, hypothetically, you have somebody who's a priest who has a tremendous amount of stress outside of their control, and they have like a, a mental break, and they just can't handle it anymore. Mm, yeah, that's cool. I was like, that's something to consider. Mm. That or, and then the other, the more often, more often the case is somebody recognizes in themselves that they didn't make the right decision at the get go. They had other motivate other other drivers, so somebody whose parents maybe put an awful lot of pressure on them to pursue the priesthood. Then they realize later, you know, I never wanted it in the first place. I never really felt God called me, but I always felt the pressure to just do it, which can be a real tragedy, mm-hmm. because it, it's a it's a big commitment, and so in the big sense of things, it's not like it never goes away either. Like even when when a priest is like quote unquote laicized, they're still a priest. They just right. don't function as a priest, and they're given permission to marry. But in the sense that 
it's kind of like it's very much like baptism as an indelible mark. It never changes. It's the sacramental character. Mm. So it's there forever. Eternally too, right? Right, Even right, right. In yeah, in heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it's you're making that oath, and that's why you guys take so long to yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, figure it out too, because it's like it's a lifelong thing. You know, it's not um well, eternal thing. <laughs> eternally, even you know, after. Yeah, yeah. Um that's kind of the cool thing, because sometimes we can get hung up and there's actually a, a really interesting dynamic, especially with uh religious and vows. But then ordination as well. Ordination's a little bit different. But the parallels, we can't make an exact parallel with marriage as far as like religious vows. There's no death to us part. There is. Right. Well, and well, and, well that's with ordination. But with, oh, right. with okay. religious vows, is interesting because we profess. So we have postulancy. Every community is a little bit different depending on their constitutions. But for our, with our community, postulancy first, nine months. Novish, it's a year, and then we profess our first vows. So we're really professed, we're really friars, we're really in vows. Hmm. And yet, they expire after three years. Why do they expire? It's a testing period oh. for your own discernment. Okay. So you're so we celebrate our anniversaries from that first profession, and the intent is to profess it for your whole life. But knowing, so the church and her wisdom <laughs> gives us these opportunities to continue to discern so that you can then renew vows and profess solemn vows. So at solemn vows, then it's for life, which is kind of a cool, cool feature about it where it's like, okay, it's, whereas marriage is like you have engagement and then you have marriage and then that's it. So there's not like, unless you live together, which I don't recommend. Yeah. Which is not, <laughs> yeah, which you shouldn't. Uh, right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And even then it's not a real testing. Like mm-hmm. it's not, so it doesn't even parallel exactly. But then ordination more so where it's this, Singular event, permanent commitment. That's it. That's interesting with religious vows. Yeah. Cause you can try it like, oh, I'm living as a religious for a few years, yeah, but it's yeah. not a permanent oath. Exactly. That you're making. Not yet. Married life, you can't do that. And well, I mean, you just have courtship, but not like, oh, we're married uh, in the Catholic way. And then, um, yeah, likewise with ordination. It's like, you're ordained now. Right. You're a priest. Yeah. Here's your parish. First, you're deacon, <laughs> then you're a priest. Boom. That's it. Yeah. So you're and same with deacon too, right? That's, yeah. that's permanent. It, yeah. It never goes away. So yeah. even when you go to heaven, you're still a priest. Right. Like, like, Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. That's that's indelible really cool. mark. That is really cool. I didn't know that. The eternal priesthood of Christ. Dang, you wow. get to participate in that eternal <clears throat> priesthood, which is the well, one mediator. So, so the cool yeah. thing is, like, it's what we all do in a certain sense because of the baptismal sense of our priesthood. Or, yeah. Whereas you have the ministerial priesthood and the baptismal priesthood. So we all have it. I still have it. <laughs> the right. the baptismal priesthood, but then those of us who are ordained for the sake of the ministry hmm. have the additional ministerial priesthood. That's something that people forget. you know, it's like yeah, you get yeah, baptized yeah. and you like when, um, what is it? After the offertory, you know, um, may our sacrifice and yours yeah. be acceptable. It's like, my, we, yeah, my we sacrifice participate. And yours, yeah. Yeah. My sacrifice and yours. Yeah. We're participating in that same sacrifice through the totally. common priesthood of the, uh, of the church. And it's like, I, I think, and maybe I could ask this as well with like vocations. Um, how uh, seeing the priesthood is like a goal, um, like seminarians thinking like once I get there and then I get the ministerial priesthood, then it's like, okay, I'm like set or whatever, or that's going to kind of like solve things. Do you, do you see that sometimes with seminarians? They think they see the, the priesthood as a goal rather than just like a continuing of their journey, I suppose. Well, or is okay. it even a bad thing? Maybe I, I don't even know if that's a bad thing. Maybe yeah, that is yeah, a good thing. I mean, it, it depends. It depends because, if the goal is to 
to follow where the Lord leads. And that has become apparent that that's the priesthood. And that's a good thing. But if it's in the sense of like, it's going to solve my problems, that's a real <laughs> yeah, problem. That's because it, those are the people, those are the guys who sometimes leave. Mm-hmm. Unless they can work through it later. Because it's like marriage. If you were to come into a, an engagement and marriage thinking, oh, she's going to fix all my problems. Like, forget it. You're done. Like, get over it. <laughs> you, you might as well right. prepare the paperwork now. <laughs> like, right. it, it's just not a good option. Mm. Like, you now you can salvage it. But you're setting yourself up for failure. Hmm. So that's the important thing. Because, or religious life. Like if I come into religious life thinking that, oh, well, I'm going to have community and I just can't stand being alone. I'm like, well, good luck. <laughs> Get ready. Because <laughs> like we are together. So it's not like I live as a hermit. However, there is a fair amount of time that I do have by myself. Like I have my own bedroom. <laughs> like I, and there's some open time in the evenings, like read or work on a little little hobby or homily prep or any number of things. And uh, if I can't stand being by myself, I was like, well, get ready for struggle. As with anybody, like any life, single life, married life, doesn't matter. Right. So like if we, if we look to this permanent state in life as a resolution to our problems, not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while, yeah, while we're on vocations, I mean – I wanted to ask, I've always wanted to ask a priest this prior. Um, so about marriage, what are the permissible cases for an annulment? So mm-hmm. I think, I think I know two. One of them was that they never really had the intention to be married. Is that one? And then was the second one like abuse or something? I don't, I just yeah, always yeah, wanted yeah. to know what, cause I learned it, I think in theology of the body, but I don't completely remember what like the cases are for annulment. Well, so Thankfully, they, they're a little uh, documents to be able to lay out this. So I'm not saying this is 100%, but it's it's pretty close from what I have fresh off the top of my head. Uh, but basically, the, there are a couple of aspects, and then it falls into sort of specific details. But annulments can come about, one, if there was no intent to really give yourself in the first place. <clears throat> Second one is if you were not even free to give yourself in marriage. And then the third, yeah, the third is pertaining to the faith. So those are kind of like from the overarching structure, that's kind of how it works. So like the first, and then there's like qualifications. uh, And the fourth area is um, basically that you never got married, Hmm. which is, so to kind of lay those out just real briefly. um, So like not never getting married, even though you thought you were, is what we call lack of canonical form for one example. So you, you might be Catholic one or both parties are Catholic and you get married outside the church without permission, or you don't, um, yeah, you don't go through the proper procedures. And basically because you're a Catholic and it wasn't, you didn't go through the right process. It's like, it's, it's not blessed by the church. Therefore it's what we call a documentary process. It's relatively quick to go through that and say, okay, we didn't go through the right process. Therefore no marriage. So you either have to get married in the church or right because that can be resolved exactly, mm. um, and those usually come up if someone was married and then got a divorce, civil divorce, and trying to get married again in the Catholic Church, they realize, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they go through this process, and it usually is relatively quick. Um, saying that you were never free to marry in the first place, so if somebody was married before and they try to get married again, mm. 
that's when that comes in place. Or if they, uh, or if somebody was ordained and they didn't have permission. Okay. It's another one. Like when you're not totally free to marry. And that also falls into play with regards to uh, having, we call it disparity of cult. So if somebody's not baptized or somebody's Protestant and marrying a Catholic, you have to get a dispensation. So permission from the church to be free to marry. Hmm. So yeah, kind of walking through this. Different Isn't it crazy avenues. with the canonicals? Like it has to have yeah. you know the right form, the right matter, all this stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah, saw this yeah. crazy case. I think it was in Minnesota, um, and I don't know if you might have you might have seen it. Um, there was a priest who realized. No, this was in Buffalo. I think in New York. His baptism. His bap. Yeah, you saw yeah, his. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this priest, his he went back into his uh, like I think they had like a video yeah. of his baptism, family video, and the the deacon said, "We baptize you mm-hmm. in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And if you say we baptize instead of I baptize, it's an invalid baptism. What? Isn't it crazy? <laughs> wait, yeah, which wait, means what? none of the other sacraments are valid at all. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. We bat. Okay, so how? Wait, how? How? So it there's a proper form, right? So the church puts out yeah. like proper form. It has to be I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It can't be we baptize you. You can't say I baptize you in the name of Christ. It has to be the Trinitarian formula. Right. It has to be one oh. singular I, right? right. So because he didn't it's in the person of Christ. Yes. Oh. So the deacon wanted to take the liberty of like, we baptize you as you can. It's like his family and friends and everybody. Yeah, we there. all baptize you, yeah. um, which is not valid. So he grows up, oh, receives no. all the sacraments, and then becomes. Well, thinks he receives them. Thinks he receives Correct. But did he know though? No, he, he didn't know oh, until he, he saw the video. Okay. He was an infant. Okay. So it's not his fault though, right? No, it's not his fault, but he's still fault. not baptized. <laughs> it's the deacon's fault. That's the thing with the the church. It's not you know. It's it does have to be the proper form. Yeah, so he matter, gets matter and form. So if matter you don't, if you matter don't use water, form, that's right. Yeah, water with the three <clears throat> triple immersion or pouring over, and then the the form of the words. If it's not there, yeah, it's not valid. So what? And what so happened? he got ordained, went through the whole thing, and then he'd been a priest for a year or two years. Yeah, thankfully like it wasn't really long. It was short. Yeah, it wasn't like a whole career. It was just, you know. And then he went back, saw his video, told his bishop, and his bishop's like, uh-oh. <laughs> and they sent out this letter to yeah. the whole diocese and said, like, okay, this priest has been doing his ministry. You haven't received the sacraments. You need to contact us if you've been baptized by him. Or Well, actually, oh, actually the baptism baptism, would have been valid, Baptisms right? were valid because anybody can baptize. Even a non, right. non-Christian non can baptize so long as they do the formula with Wait, water really? and the intent to do what the church intends. Wait, crazy. So really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we'll take a, a scenario. So this is for Wait. the sake of salvation. The church oh, in her mercy. Okay, got it. Got it. Recognizes right. that if you were like dying on the side of the road and had been baptized, and somebody happens along, I need to be baptized, and you coach them through it. It's real. <laughs> That's Isn't that cool. crazy. So That's you had really an cool. ordained deacon, <clears throat> but he changed the form invalid. But someone who's not even a Catholic, right? If they do the right form in the water, the church recognizes that as a. As a valid baptism, oh, I just shows yeah, you how serious yeah, like the form is. Yeah, you know, yeah, you can't mess around with it. Yeah. Baptism oh, by baptism blood is, by blood. That's a different type. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, and that's where somebody's martyred, but they hadn't been baptized yet. So, like early church. So, if they were, if they had decided to believe, but they hadn't had anybody to, like, if they got killed before the Easter vigil. Right. It's like as yeah. a catechumen. Right. 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 Exactly. They had okay. the intention. Exactly. But, You've but taken steps. Here. The intention is there, and yet something happened. Right. Yeah. So this priest, how, okay, so how did he figure it out? Did somebody come to the realization and, and 
he like, saw what, what a happened? video he was, he was watching of his, his, baptism, his own baptism. So he was just video. watching it just out and of And then he, he realized he's weird stuff. And he saw the We Baptized, contacted his bishop, and then the bishop sent out. It was actually a really interesting, because I'm doing theology up here too. Like He went through all the different theological like he applied all the theological canonical principles and was like telling everyone, okay, well, here's what it means for this. Here's what it means if you got married under, here's right. what it means if you had confession, a Eucharist, yeah. Eucharist, everything and send it out. And I, I, I think he got baptized, ordained again, like all in one day or something. Yeah. Receive oh all the sacraments and Wait, so what, what happened it. with all the people though? Did they, did they have to. The marriages. So you all can, the marriages, like, oh, no. marriages had to be sort of redone, oh. but they, I didn't, I didn't follow up too closely. There's mm. probably, they could probably do like radical sanation or something like that. Like the intent was there for the couples. What, what was that again? Radical sanation. Sanation. So it, so it like yeah, if, sanitizes it. Like oh, okay. okay. Yeah, like, so. the, like the bishop in his ability as the pastor of the diocese, mm. his overarching spiritual authority. I, I'd, I'd have to be sure. It, they may have had to come in and have it like re redone, right? Redo it basically in, in like a small form with mm. them and two witnesses and, and somebody, but otherwise, oh but like sometimes, yeah, if a, uh, if it's found that, so this is where like radical sanation comes in. If there's a couple who intends to get married, but something happened either in their intention or otherwise, and it later comes forward for the sake of the other member. So like the other, the other spouse, it can be rectified kind of in a, in a very, from the intention of the bishop, which is pretty cool. Interesting. I've never heard that before. That's yeah, really yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, you, it's you cool. get into marriage canon law and things get kind of wild. <laughs> things get weird, yeah. Like, well, there's people who specialize just oh, yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what they do. Yeah. All they do. That's so interesting. Does the same thing go with a confession? Like, if somebody's dying and they want to confess their sins or whatever, and you're just a regular person. No. No? <laughs> okay, all right. No, no so, right. so this is the cool thing is, like, if they haven't been baptized, though, um, you can baptize them and baptism removes sin. Wow. Also. That's right. So in that sense, it's effective because um, you think about like early church and sort of the very much spread out nature of things. But yeah, as far as confession though, like somebody, so it doesn't have the same effect, but at the same time as if somebody is dying and there's nobody else around, like to make a sort of outward confession to a fellow Christian can have effect. Like it's not the same effect, but it can have positive effect. Yeah, it can lead you to like, contrition right. or even perfect contrition if you yeah 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 really exactly yeah. as long as you're intending if i had the opportunity to go to a priest i would but exactly. there's not one available yeah yeah and that, that kind of leads to the same thing of like a, a like a nightly examination of conscience like if you reflect on the, the good and the bad where i've cooperated with god's grace and resisted his grace and you make a real act of contrition like that has real effect mm. i mean it doesn't remedy mortal sin but all other sins definitely has effect on that Right. It's just so amazing how, let's say, human in the sense of not just purely spiritual, like the sacraments really make, like the whole just we baptize you versus I baptize yeah, you. Yeah. And the fact that you need physical water and it's, you know, the physical matter of bread and wine, you have to have that. You can't substitute it for whatever else, you know, uh, <laughs> whiskey and tortillas. It has to be <laughs> bread and, you know, and that material element. And, and then also with confession, you need a priest who's been validly ordained who it, hears your confession in person. physically in person yeah it can't be a phone call it can't be a zoom call right and this is the you know everyone obviously the covid stuff and everyone had to be home and uh catholics were like 
it's not just I can just watch it on my TV now and it's the exact same. You're yeah. not really attending mass and obviously there's provisions for it, but how really physical and down to earth and human the sacraments really. Yeah, make, yeah, you know? totally. Oh, and I, that's a really cool point where I think we can sometimes get caught up in our heads and get hung up on like thinking, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a soul. Like speaking a language of people as souls is like, no, I'm a person. I have a body too. Right. <laughs> like part, my body is me. My soul is me like both mm-hmm. after the resurrection, after death, there's separation and it's not the resurrection is not complete until the body's reunited. Like we profess that in the creed, the resurrection of the body, like it's right. coming. <laughs> You're stuck with your body yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse, <laughs> but it'll be pure. It'll be perfected. It will be right. Like mm-hmm. you'll be like Jesus where you can eat, but you don't have to, you can go, you can just like show up in random places. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. The fact that you can eat just, I mean, because there's so many religious um, ideas of like your spirit goes yeah. on and all this stuff, but it's like, no, you can eat a ham sandwich if you want. Yeah, you like he, he ate fish. <laughs> eat fish. Yeah. I mean, Christ did. Yeah. That like shatters all those um, pure soul notions and oh, pure yeah, spirit bunch notions of garbage. and all that. Yeah. <laughs> when we, I mean, when we went to Austria, we went to the Holy Land for our 10 day break. We yeah. went to Jerusalem, Jericho, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Galilee, Capernaum, and we went to this uh, on Galilee where the 5,000 loaves or 5,000, you know, all the people. And uh, it was just like in a, such an amazing, like you could just feel. Yeah, yeah. The place oh, is It's awesome. so nuts. Like you can just feel. Oh, have you been present? Yeah, I have. I have. Oh, that's awesome. Feeding that's in the 5,000. Wow. Yeah. It's just like, it's such an amazing and satisfying feeling being there. Because you know, growing up our whole lives, we're, you know, learning from our parents about Jesus. We're doing um, like just all sorts of formation and we have youth groups and we go to mass and everything. Um, and to, to uh, you know, eventually be to the, go to the spot where Jesus actually was. Yeah. And you, it's like all the, the culmination of all your life's learning about the church like comes together. It's, it's just un, unreal. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that struck me when I was there uh, 10 years ago, back before I was a friar, was, okay, Jesus says this. Jesus said this to his disciples. Here, Jesus said this. Yeah, that's <laughs> like what it's at, like. Yeah. Uh, so in, crazy. in Nazareth, it's uh, here, Gabriel appeared to Mary. Mm. <sighs> We've been there. Yeah, yeah that yeah, little, like, yeah, cave yeah, yeah, in yeah. the church. Like, yeah. the, 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 on the marble, I think it's Hick-Est. Here, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, right. It's wow. like, oh. <laughs> you're like. That's just the crazy, and then you like the next day you're like, okay, well now I'm on you know the Mount of Beatitudes right, or whatever, right. and now I'm at Mount Tabor where Transfiguration happened. Yeah, and it's you not like a huge go country. Back and like, it's like I'm in Jerusalem. Yeah, they walked. It wasn't yeah, they, that far. <laughs> they walked that far. Yeah. Oh, one of the um, one of the groups actually did that walk from like from Jerusalem out to like the Mount of Transfiguration or something. Yeah. And it was a long. We oh, we did yeah. not do that walk. We were on our own <laughs> trip. But were you leading? Oh no, that's this is yeah, ten years ago. Before. Okay. Before. Yeah, do you hope to get to Austria when it? Oh yeah, uh, opens I'm up? sure at some point. I uh, I actually went last October, and oh, yeah. was uh, asked to lead the pilgrimage to Poland, oh, wow. which is super super cool, super cool. I've never <laughs> been there before, so yeah, because wow. I I studied engineering and went to a state school before I became a friar. So I, I joke, I say you my first experience of, of Catholic school was seminary. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what was that like? What's what uh, engineering? Or yeah, se- or entering seminary for the first time. And <laughs> engineering, I'm curious. I mean, what about that switch there? Oh, that was was a bit of a change. Okay. What what prompted the switch? 
Well, so I guess we'll go into my own little vocation story, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do <laughs> so, it. So like raised Catholic, normal stuff, cradle Catholic, uh, central Pennsylvania. So we always went to Sunday mass, helped out the parish picnics, went on holy days too. <laughs> no worries there. And uh, finally, senior year, I was going along and I was dating a classmate of mine and she I was at, uh, yeah, I asked her what she was, if she wanted to hang out that weekend. And um, she said, well, if, if you're going to hang out, hang out with me, this is where I'm going to be. And she was going to like a praise and worship thing. I'd never experienced that before in my life, ever, <laughs> ever. Like I listened to country and classic rock and that was it. <laughs> and I didn't like raise my hands or anything like that. And she takes me along and there's like eight or 10 people in this local parish and a couple of people playing guitar. And uh, so it's like, okay, this is weird. Just like moderately done praise and worship and we're going along and I'm, I'm, I'm there because I just wanted to spend time with her and then hang out afterwards. And then something went weird happened. Okay. So I'm there and the Lord obviously wanted to do something because I opened up for just like a half a second and we're in the middle of singing, trading my sorrows, which is the cheesiest of the cheats. <laughs> <laughs> it's like cheese whiz. <laughs> On American cheese, like so, so bad, <laughs> right? So we're doing trading my sorrows, and then it gets weirder. Okay, so they begin to sing the refrain, "Yes, Lord, yes, Lord," slowly, <laughs> in like a meditative way. <laughs> oh man! So I'm sitting there as like this high school senior who's never heard this stuff before, totally weirded out, and yet I like I closed my eyes for half a second. I was looking up at the crucifix and. It wasn't like prayer. We prayed before meals and I went to mass and that was like prayer life for me. Mm. And for that moment, the Lord gave me this really intense kind of internal experience of, of like the crucifixion. Dang. It was incredible. Hard to describe. No words, just kind of there. And then I'm back. And from that point on, it's kind of a steady, that, that, that was the turning point because I was kind of moving in not the best direction. It wasn't off the rails. Mm -hmm. It was slowly drifting. And from that point on, it was a totally different trajectory. So Lord just kind of reached in and got me. Wow. <laughs> so an uh, intense moment vision of the crucifixion just yeah. being there. Yeah. What happened to the girlfriend? So we dated for another year. Okay. Dang. And then she dumped me. So I stuck around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man. And I was going to uh, so more like praise and worship events at St. Francis University, our other school. So, okay. so we have two, uh, two schools, so Franciscan and St. Francis. And uh, was involved going to campus ministry stuff there. And over time, just got more and more involved. Started, And it was this kind of slow progression <clears throat> where I would go to Adoration Wednesday nights, prayer meeting Thursday. Then I'd go to, and I was going on mass on Sundays, and then I'd go weekday mass, and then two, and then three, and then men's group Monday, and something else. And by the time I was done with college, I was a senior, I was going to mass seven days a week. And mind you, I'm going to a state school. Wow. <laughs> so like this wasn't a normal normal behavior, mm -hmm. but I was commuting from home. So I'd get up early and then go to school and, and do that. But I said mass seven days a week, teaching religious ed, Adoration Wednesday, praise and worship Thursday, taking 18 credits of engineering and Jeez. just kind of, and it was just moving. It was working. I mean, the Lord's given a lot of gifts, so I'll give him the credit, obviously, but it's just a progressive thing, helping out with retreats and stuff like that. And what I found 
whenever I've been asked about this before, it's kind of like engineering was the moon where it's, it's a good thing. Like I had the skills for it, kind of natural aptitude. I was towards the, the upper end of my class and like the moon is, is bright, gives a lot of light. You can, it was just beautiful. And yet when the sun shows up, you can still see the moon, but totally dwarfed <laughs> and the, and the light comes from the sun. Mm. That's the other thing. Mm. So like anything that makes the moon bright is from the sun. So anything that makes engineering good is from the Lord. And so this is where it, it's kind of a cool thing. There's actually this weird trend people have asked about the, where there's a number of people in the hard sciences, tech, like if you want to use quotes, hard sciences, like uh, math, engineering, chemistry, and the list goes on, who have become religious and priests in recent years. Wow. It's like an interesting trend. Hmm. And my only explanation of it is that people who operate in those fields have this sense of how the, like the systems that the world operates under, they're too ridiculous. It's basically the fine tuning argument for God's existence where it's like, okay, like this, you can look at the, the desk in front of us is made out of wood, which was from a tree that grew from a seed. Okay. That's pretty profound just to begin with. <laughs> then you get into like the cellular structure and then you get into the, the molecular and atomic and subatomic levels. And then you go on the macro scale and you have us on this planet, in the solar system, in the galaxy, in the universe, that has a definitive beginning because it's already expanded beyond the point of recollapsing. So, like the list goes on. <clears throat> it's these really, really incredible things. And those who function in those sort of scientific fields, you can't ignore it. Like it's in your face. Like God exists. He's obviously in control <laughs> because. You get into the math of it, and it's just ridiculous. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and like yeah. the standard scientific is like, I'm scientific. I'm an atheist, right? God couldn't have created all this stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yet yeah. they're coming around to it like, wait a second. This stuff is like Oh, yeah. The evidence is crazy. just overwhelming. Whenever you start to look at it, it's completely overwhelming. You're like, okay, well, obviously, this is the case. And, yeah, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, so then making that shift, it's interesting, making the shift from engineering to philosophy classes before seminary or theology classes was challenging only in the sense that I had to learn another language, another way of speaking about stuff, mm. but in the sense that it's a cohesive, coherent, logical system of thought. Like it's very logical. So you just kind of go through the sequence. Like these, these are your definitions. These are how they relate. It makes sense. So it kind of comes along. And so my philosophy papers were generally a lot shorter than my classmates because <laughs> <laughs> nice. I could make the point with less, less fluff. <laughs> and where did you go to college? So I went for undergrad. I went to Penn state Altoona. So it used Penn to, state, okay. cool. used to be an athletic competitor of Franciscan before we switched conferences. Okay. Got it. But then uh seminary, I took one semester at the Dominican house of studies in DC and then oh, for awesome. seminary to Catholic U. Catholic U. So we have cool. a house of studies down there in DC. About a mile off campus. Awesome. So you've stayed primarily in like Pennsylvania, DC kind of area. Well, that. not not exclusively. So because during my undergrad, I actually had two internships out in Idaho. Oh wow. Yeah. So my sister's friend's dad had a friend who needed a guy who could do what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you want to go a little little circuitous. So good connections. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good good networking. Yeah, it nice. was like a Christmas party, and then I ended up working there two summers. But that was a really instrumental point in like helping me realize the call 
Wow. Was it close to the mountains in Idaho or out in the plains? It or? was uh, it was in the plains, but it was close in that sense to the to the mountains. So nice. it was in like the eastern part, Idaho Falls. Okay, cool. Did you get to go up to the the great northwest, the mountains and all that? Not not on that that time. I went to Yellowstone. Oh, oh awesome. yeah. yes. Awesome. I've not been. You've been. You right? haven't been to Yellowstone. I've not been. Alex Denley. <laughs> Alex Alex, you know, Alex has this backup plan. If everything in his if, if everything in his life goes to hell, yeah. Then he's going to buy a house in Montana, out in the middle of the woods. Okay, it's going to be filled with philosophy and theology books. <laughs> he's going to grow his beard out to about his kneecaps, <laughs> and he's just going to be sitting on his front porch with a beautiful wooden made rocking chair. Wow, smoking a pipe. Wow, that, we'll, that's and, the dream. All right? That's the dream. And we'll, and this we'll, isn't the backup plan. That's the dream. This is plan one. Okay, right? okay. This is plan A. And we'll call you Thoreau. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call you Thoreau. Yeah, exactly. I probably won't even write anything. I'll just read and just like yell into the wind or something like that. Uh, something about the Northwest. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's, it it's gorgeous. It's really something else. Well, it's uh, so rugged. Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. And Washington, and Oregon, your, Idaho, all those yeah, places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your smallness becomes apparent like, yeah, on the mountains <laughs> or uh, yeah. in your own mortality. Like the fact that there are still creatures out there that want to eat you. Actively. <laughs> that are trying to pursue yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a real deal. It is. Yeah. Bears. And, and then in the wintertime when it gets like, you know, it's totally covered in snow yeah, and icy yeah, yeah. and it's like you go out and you could die if you don't mm-hmm. um, cover up right and stuff. Yeah. And I got, I got to go up to the Northwest. <laughs> I've yeah, only been to Montana. I've, lo- I've loved, shelter. loved hiking out there and camping and such. It's amazing. Do the TORs know. have any, uh, any Western parishes or not at this point? Not at this point. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you could open the first, <laughs> open the Bring first out to Northern California or Washington yeah. or something. Yes. Yeah, Who knows? Like or, you know, put it down in San Diego. I'm from San Diego. So okay. yeah. I don't know if you've been out West California. Side I, or- I have made it out there. There was uh, I was out there for a research conference uh, just before I entered religious life. And then <clears throat> I was out once um, out to LA with, so I was chaplain for the men's volleyball team at St. Francis and it's mm-hmm. a D1 program. And they went out for a, a tournament. And so oh, wow. D1. Yeah, made, made the trip out there. Dang. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So those guys are like super tall and they jump for <laughs> days and then they're crushing the ball. That's like <laughs> some of those athletic, like yeah. men's volleyball. Volleyball, volleyball is so volleyball athletic. Is athletic. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I am not very good at it. <laughs> I know we do our sand volleyball stuff. I haven't done much of that. Do, do you do any of the sand volleyball? That you I, yeah, before? I was on the intramurals. You're pretty. Oh, he's cool. pretty active in intramurals and and the sports stuff on campus. That's in fact. That's where the first time we met was at the men's soccer game. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the first time when I was up there was filming watching a game. I was up there filming and I was like, "Hey, I think this is the only prior we got here. I should introduce myself to him." You know, like up on the field, and I was like, "Hey, my name's Kellen. Hi, I'm Father Vince." Yep, yep. You know, and that was what was that a year? Was that Last a year, year ago? How long have you been uh, up it's the here? Longest now? decade of our lives. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How long have you been up here now, at I've, Franciscan? I've uh, been here since last August, so August 2019. <clears throat> wow, so yeah, pretty new to Franciscan. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy. Now I took a couple summer classes here. Okay. Whenever I was in seminary, I had to get some philosophy in on right. the sides. Since August, yeah. This is my fourth year here. Is this your fourth year? Um, well, I graduated, but technically I'm. Yeah, I mean, fourth year in in Steubenville. In Steubenville, yeah, yeah. Is philosophy as necessary as theology when becoming a priest? Because hmm. I hear a lot of everybody like, okay, there's philosophy, but I feel like theology is a lot more important than philosophy when it comes to. Oh, obviously, you know. obviously. But so there's there's obviously some different points of view, but in the grand scheme of things, like theology, to understand theology, like the language of it, it builds off philosophy. So if you're going to really grasp it, you have to have some background in the intellectual tradition of the West. 
Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very much faith and reason. reason. Very much so. Because like the the realist tradition carries so much weight. Like, okay, we have to realize like the world is real. And well, like Aquinas uses so much language from Aristotle. But you have to go back before that. And just the tradition that and, and so that like if you think about it this way, Jesus only came after Western philosophy had started to develop. Hmm. So in some sense where the time was right, like that was part of the factor, the factor of Roman expansion and communication and the sort of unification of the Mediterranean under force, obviously. But, right. but that, that really provided the avenue for Christianity to spread as it did in a peaceful way. Hmm. And that was a big debate in the earlier churches. Like how much we do we take yeah, philosophy yeah, yeah. and incorporate it? I think didn't Tertullian have his famous like what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem or something like that, right? So it's like, how much do we need a philosophy? How much do we just stay on theology? You know, because right, right. there's a I mean, there's even Descartes realized like, you know, there's a philosophy for every crazy idea you could possibly have, you know. Um but uh yeah, but ultimately if you if you have the right theology, you and then that realism you're talking about, I think is is super huge. You have this, you know. I exist, obviously, but you guys are just projections, right? right of my Alex subconscious, you know, Father Vince. I'm just, <laughs> pew, and then Kellen as well. Uh, <laughs> Talk about the ego gone wild. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, brain in a bad stuff. Uh, wasn't it like Avicenna or, or Verowitz? I can't remember which one, but he said, um, you know, like, and I think I take the same with the people who are uh, brain in a vat. I'm the only one who exists, but he said, uh, someone asked him, like, well, what do you do if a person denies the law of non contradiction? Like uh, you say, you know, A is A, but A is also B at the same time. You know, it's or A is A rather A is A or A is not A at the same time. Same respect. Like Kellen Lake is sitting in the chair, and Kellen Lake is not sitting in the chair in the yeah. same way in the same respect. So, like, what do you do uh, with people? That, like that? That's the law of contradiction, right? Where you have like one thing cannot be true, beca- right? Because another thing is absolutely true. You in, know what I mean? Is that is that yeah, I forget yeah. exactly. It just can't be. Yeah, you can't say can't be this is true and not true at the yeah. same time. In okay. the same it's way. In the same way. Right. Same way, yeah. And uh, they asked him that, and he's like, "Okay, well, what do you do with that person?" I say, "Well, you you torture them and beat them <laughs> until they realize that not being tortured and not being beaten is not the same as being tortured and beaten." So <laughs> that's the best it's way. It's to probably solve effective. It. <laughs> it probably is pretty effective. Yeah. But uh, and that's yeah philosophy can just go crazy oh yeah and people can get lost in it and it can really affect your theology a lot. right right so that's that's where kind of to your point of like how much philosophy is required so the, the usccb has a certain guideline and then there's different discussions that happen it's like okay how much actually because in some sense i think the current requirement is around 30 credits which is an associate's degree if you're only taking philosophy entirely mm-hmm. So a lot of places, it's actually hard to find that many classes to take, which is kind of interesting. You just run out of content. <laughs> right. yeah. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's so it's only so in my experience, I'll say from my own experience, there's wisdom in what the bishops have to say, obviously. Um, they're the ones who make the decisions. But in the sense of like, as long as you have your basic background, your basic content, basic areas of coverage, then you have enough to grasp what the tradition says and how the the tradition is speaking. So you really have to have some background if you're going to understand Augustine, Bonaventure, Aquinas, and onward. Right. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, well, how did they get these ideas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and they, and they use words in such a way, like being, okay? Like the word being carries so much content in the world of philosophy 
but that was one of the hardest things that like taking me out of physics and realizing being uh what <laughs> being as being what no, do you that mean? was <laughs> that was you take uh, metaphysics? i took it to a doctor a french santa claus dr Saray. <laughs> 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 it's french santa claus dr Saray. Uh, i got an a in it and did I, you? I, wow. I you pretty much BS the whole class. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> I did, well, okay, I'm not the best at philosophy. I mean, I tried, honestly. I mean, okay, so my first class with uh, was Dr. Symington, really cool guy. All, all the philosophy professors are great. Uh, Dr. Symington, I got, I think I got a C minus. I just, I, I tried really hard. I didn't really know what I was doing. Was that a human person? Because yeah, because philosophy, I don't think in that way. It's a complete oh, it's different. Hard. It's a complete. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I got lost in the first day of class when we were doing stanzas. I had no idea what was going on. Well, this is this and this, this and this. this. I was like, but uh, I got, I, I mean, I tried. I mean, I got a C minus and then metaphysics. I got an A hmm. only because of French Santa Claus. I mean, literally that was, he was so easy. He gifted you a class. He, he was so easy. <laughs> he was so easy. Uh, and which was nice, but I, I still learned. Who'd you take ethics with then? Dr. Carino. I got a C plus in that class only because, only because I got stuck in Florence on a train. I took it in Austria and you lose 2% of your grade every time you miss a class. Oh. I got stuck in Florence and I think I got a 78. Cause oh, come on. And you didn't like, did you explain it? Like I, I was I stuck told in Florence. Him, yeah, I was like stuck there and he was like, uh. I failed his midterm, but then I retook it. He was talking all this stuff about like the sun and the stars. And like, I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> He's like doing all this philosophy with like, I don't even understand how to pronounce these guys' names. And then I'm learning about like the sun and the moon and how that's philosophized. And I'm like, it seems like all these philosophers are just on crack or something. <laughs> Seriously, when they're making all this stuff, it's not yeah. making up. So we have depending required. on what, what area of philosophy. Yeah. yeah some totally. of them. Some of them definitely like, like yeah. modernist. Ethics. Oh, ethics for yeah. me was re- <laughs> all the philosophy was hard. I'm just, I don't think in that way. I'm mm. a completely different thinker. So we require uh, three philosophy classes for, yeah. uh, if you're not science, for bachelor of You have to do oh, yeah. philosophy, the human person, metaphysics, and ethics. I think those that's are, what those are important, they're, important they're, content for life. Oh, they, yeah. I learned a lot. In, I learned a lot of things, especially like stuff that I didn't know. Obviously, I didn't know really anything about. I know. I mean, I knew some stuff about being, but I had no idea there was like all sorts of different uh, aspects within it. Especially, you know, same thing with ethics, which was, it was a cool class. It was, I just struggled with it. It was hard, but um, that, and also, you know, philosophy of the human person, just learning about why philosophy is actually important in this world, because it can really teach you to think critically, which is a good thing. And a lot of schools don't have that. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're not going to go to some big state schools and they're going to have the in-depth philosophy that we have here. Well, some places, some places are good. It, it, so much of it depends on the professors because I went to Penn yeah. State and I decided to not take any philosophy, uh, even towards the end when I was starting to discern more seriously because I figured this is probably just going to be a bunch of baloney. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like the way what the content that they will try to convey very often because it it's not universal. Like there are good people everywhere who are trying to be faithful and to to bring truth, but some people have so willingly bought into denying the truth. For the purposes of their own comfort, that like jeopardizes the philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's like okay, Descartes' right. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It was honestly, it was a good time. Um, look, taught me a lot, especially like just kind of thinking um, critically. But yeah, I mean, the I think yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think 
there's a lot more theology that you learn than philosophy. I think when it comes oh, to yeah. the priesthood, obviously we spent way more time. I think it's like a 94 credit cl- uh, yeah. program. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. a lot Master's more. Level. Like it's insane. <laughs> you know, a class I really wanted to take at Franciscan was Mariology hmm. with Mirabali. I think that was who it was. Never got to it, but some of the um, theology classes here are so awesome. I took a theology of healing class yeah. my last semester and it was so awesome. It was amazing to learn. There's like the psychology behind healing, all the aspects, like the mental aspects, the physical aspects. And it was just so cool because, you know, the Catholic church, something that it really emphasizes is healing. It's mercy. You know, God is, has endless mercy, endless healing towards the people. And that's something that was just really cool to learn, you know, like within the Catholic church in that class. Um, it was just really cool. It was it was a fun class. There's so many awesome theology classes. It's really cool. It's, I understand, you know, I, there's a lot of theology majors here in philosophy <laughs> because they really enjoy the classes that are offered. You know what I mean? So how would you compare, um, well, maybe not compare, your, your time now here at Franciscan, right? So you've yeah. been here since August 2019? Right. Awesome. And then you spent some time at St. Francis as I, well, right? I did. So that was my apostolic year. So it was this okay. year of ministry that we do which is kind of a, A, it serves as a little bit more for discernment purposes. So you get a little bit more exposure to life as a solemnly professed friar would live it, more exposure to ministry to see if you can actually do it, if you mm. like, if it's fulfilling for you. And then also to get a little break from school. Oh, nice. nice. <laughs> but yeah, so I was there for, for a year for okay. working in campus ministry. And I also taught a physics class, a physics lab. <clears throat> cool. You taught a physics lab? Yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. <sighs> Electricity and magnetism. Oh, that's oh, right, because you did engineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so one of the perennial topics about Franciscan, the Franciscan bubble that they keep, yeah, that everyone yeah, yeah. talks about, and either they say, completely deny it, it's like, it doesn't really exist, or, you know, we have a super bubble, and people will talk about it all the time. Um, and you've also seen St. Francis, right. which I don't know if there's a St. Francis bubble or something like that, but uh, yeah, do you think the Franciscan bubble is real real and, and you know how would you harming dis- students yeah. in some way or keeping them too shielded how or would, do what you think is, it's a good bubble like interesting we're making a good catholic culture and just because we're different than the rest of the world that's actually a really good thing we're building like our own hmm. catholic civilization in itself here. what is the bubble you know what I mean? okay well the definitive <clears throat> answer well i'm gonna say both <laughs> okay <laughs> because it, in some sense you have the need the real honest need for a culture where it's cool to celebrate, to practice your faith. It's cool to go to mass. Like it, nobody's going to make fun of you because you go to daily mass and people will go out of their way to make that work. Mm. Likewise, like celebrating the sacraments, coming to confession, having households where you share your faith and your experience and growth in life with brothers and sisters who care. Like that's, that's profoundly different than much of what the world has to offer. And so that's so necessary, especially because you have people who come people who come here come from all different situations like some people have really really solid family life and they're they're really solid in their faith and they come in they're really mature and it's great other people not so much they come from other situations and uh and so in some sense that's it's needed as a sort of incubator if you will to allow people to acquire that faith without it being opposed kind of like if you have a a plant in a greenhouse like you need a little bit of that Mm. however at some point you also need to be exposed to reasonable opposition (laughs) because 
Otherwise, you get out like a plant that comes out of the greenhouse, gets battered by the wind and the cold, and just dies. So you got to be toughened up some. Mm. So in some sense, like, is it is the bubble real? It can be if you want it to be. Mm. Mm. So you have your own choice because you can you can just only talk to your friends and you can only you can block everybody on Facebook who doesn't agree with you and you can Mm. (laughs) hide from the world and try to stay at Franciscan for the rest of your life, which isn't a bad thing in some cases. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like if you're going to become a professor or work here or live here or something like that, like that can work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not messing with you, Callum. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm back to this. I, yeah, I yeah. Last so like, it can be a really yeah. good thing. Uh, but in the sense of you have to take an honest assessment of the world and be open to that hmm. in the sense that we are called not to isolate ourselves. We're called to reach the world. We're called to, be so as Catholics in the world to be great examples at what we do, whatever we do, like great nurses, great teachers, great engineers, great theology, like directors of religious ed in a parish who are going to face opposition. Because as you were saying, like there's all sorts of weird skewed views. Like whenever we get to the point and we think that Catholicism is based off of the democratic vote on our, on our Jeez. doctrine, it's like well, we're off the rails. Like, Athanasius proves that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like it Contramundum is, was his yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, suffix right. or whatever. Exactly. So it in the sense where so like can we choose to isolate ourselves and separate ourselves from any opposition at all? Yes. And in that case, that's bad. At least in my mind. At the same time, if we choose to reach out, to connect with to make friends with people who aren't necessarily daily mass goers. Mm-hmm to establish those relationships, A, to help them, B, to have sort of outside exposure can be a really good thing. Right. That balance is really, in terms of going out versus how much do I need to, you know, associate myself with Catholics and stuff, is a really tough question for people. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, me individually, I think for a lot of people, like, hey, where do I want to have my family and stuff? Because mm-hmm. uh, I know, you know, a number of people here who are like, you know, maybe Steubenville's the place where I'm going to, get married, raise my family and like make it my home, Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and is that, uh, and not go back to their hometown or not go back to other places. Um, and we had, um, I don't know if you know, Jacob Imam. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, so he I was on, I haven't met him in person. Yeah. He's we off. Had him, we had him on now, the podcast. We had him on the podcast. Yeah. Okay, okay. He, he made the statement that I think he, he said, I think Steubenville is, you know, a, is a burgeoning Catholic civilization on its own. Just mm. here that we're, it's something so special. I mean, he was living in Washington, sure. running a venture capitalist firm, gave that all up and said, I'm moving to Steubenville to like, wow. make, like make it my home. He, he saw there was something valuable here. And, um, and for him, he decided like, yeah, I yeah, want yeah, that yeah. kind of the community. Uh, I was discussing with some friends uh, that booked the Benedict Option where it's like, we need to make, you know, Catholic communities in different mm. places that are really solidified. Sure, sure. Um, but at the same time, it's like, that can't be it either. Right. You can't like, put the walled garden and never have any, you know, going out. Well, yeah, because it, because it comes to the question of what is the purpose of the church? If the apostles would have holed up in the upper room and never left, that's what we're yeah. talking about. That's yeah. what we're talking about. Because mm-hmm. if, if it becomes all insular about protecting ourselves, thinking that the world has the upper hand, mm then we'll stay isolated. We'll separate. We'll, we'll become a cloister, which cloistered life is a beautiful thing and has its own role. <laughs> <laughs> right. But 
but we'll become isolated and separated, which can be good for a time, mm. or it can be good to have as a, as a home base. But the church has to be out, mm. has to go out. That's, that's the nature of the church, to be evangelical. Evangelize, To yeah. be missionary, to be, yeah, evangelizing, to reach. Because why else did the Lord say to Israel, like, I'll make you a light to the nations? Right. Like it's for the sake of the salvation of the world, of everybody else in the world that we are here. Mm. So like, can we foster that? But then we also have to reach out. That balances. And we had a, a, a dumb ox debate a while back ago on homeschooling. Um, I don't know if you saw it. I can't remember what semester it was, but okay. um, it was this house believes that Catholics uh, or that traditional schooling is superior to homeschooling mm. or something like that. And um, a lot of that comes out because people are thinking, you know, if I send my kids to public school, sure, they're going to get indoctrinated with all sorts of just crazy stuff. And then when I try and like bring them back to Catholic values or Catholic faith or whatever, like it's almost going to be impossible at that point. I, I think particularly um, a lot of, I'm from California, right? So California state schools, yeah, UCs, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, I mean, it's, it's, and I've talked to other people, just complete indoctrination of, you know, the exact opposite of Catholic values in the Catholic right. faith. Um, and I think Franciscan is that for a lot of people like, oh, I don't want my kid to go completely off the rails and whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it costs a bit more than my state school, but hey, why don't you check out Franciscan? You know, like, why don't you go visit and see if it's for you or whatever? And then people will criticize it saying, well, you're just getting out of the world. Mm. You're going to Franciscan. You know, they're in their bubble. You're all sheltered. And then you get out of that. And then you go back to like a worldly way of living. So is it really worth yeah, all that yeah. effort and time to, you know, send your kid to a sheltered university or whatever? Well, I, yeah, I, I think um, for sure. I mean, I went to uh, a public high school and it was a little bit different because where I'm from, it's a little bit more conservative I'm up in the mountains and stuff. So it wasn't okay. as bad. Um, wasn't as bad for me uh, as I'm sure probably compared to the city. I think it's probably there's a lot more like indoctrination stuff going on, which is real. I mean, in California, especially it's, there's just a lot of like teaching of, you know, immoral things. Um, I'll give you an example and pardon my not my language, but just what I'm about to say. Um, so my friend, I had a friend who went to UC Santa Barbara and she, uh, they went to a conference and they were, um, it was about like a, basically the conference was about how to have better sex. Wow. And they were selling, pardon my language, everybody, they were selling sex toys and they were selling all these things and they were teach they had people with powerpoints teaching about all this stuff and i'm just listening to powerpoints powerpoints they're they're in college they're in college this is uc santa barbara my sister went there and um they're they're teaching kids this stuff and i come to franciscan i'm learning about how beautiful and sacred the human body is and how what a gift it is to save sex until marriage these kids are learning how to have sex right away all the time. And it's just a complete switch. I mean, it makes me feel so good to be Catholic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I feel so, I just feel like I'm on the right track. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm moving in a direction in my life where I know what's right. I'm being trying to be as chaste as I can in my life uh, as compared to some, seeing some people here that are just being so immoral. It's, it's really a scary thing. 
and especially where we're from, there's, you just see a lot of it, which is like a whole new kind of switch here when I came to Francis and everything was just a lot, a lot different. I was used to the public high school life. So seeing pretty much everything. Um, and that was like my case too, in the debate, I said, look, you got to do what's best for the child. Public high school, my point was kind of like, give it a shot, see what happens. If, it, if they don't like it, then you don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. But maybe don't write public high school off immediately, you know, give it a shot. But ultimately the best thing that you have to do is for the child. I'm a very outgoing guy, very extroverted, likes to take initiative and things like that. There's a lot of kids that are pretty introverted and quiet and shy, and maybe a public high school is not the best place for them for that. But, you know, it just kind of comes down to, I think, the individual, the child. I mean, I think that's really important because, like, people can get scarred for life if they're put in the wrong situations while they're younger. And I think that's a serious problem that we have today. So how do you, like, communicate that? You know, like, let's, you were a pastor in a church for, um, in a parish for a while. Yeah. Yeah. How do you commute? How do you like counsel parents on how to like pick schools or like put their kids in the right, the right places education wise? So we had a, it's it's an interesting thing because we had a, a K through eight grade school at the parish. Oh, cool. And then they would, a lot of times they'd go to the Catholic school and it was mixed um, because like we also had a high school youth group that would come together. And so it was somewhere from public school, somewhere from Catholic school. And I mean, so much that drives this, honestly, is finances, is economics of the family. If you are, and it depends on the parish and the school, because sometimes they have really good financial aid, and sometimes they just don't have it. Mm -hmm. And so if you come from a big family without a whole lot of money, and the school doesn't have great financial resources, you can't go, just the way it is. Um, And so what you run into is like recognizing Like you said, doing the best for the kid, like doing what's best, what they need. And so much of that comes from the witness of the faith of the parents and the siblings and their friends. So if you can really go out of your way to kind of build those up, not in the sense of forcing, because that obviously leads to other complicated things. I mean, sometimes we, I'm sure you guys know of specific people who have come here who've been forced their whole life and then they're, they're kind of free and then they just go off the rails. It's like, Oh yeah. Binge drinking every weekend. It's like, okay, well something's wrong. So instead it's because that's, that kind of goes back to the thing of, okay, public school, great or Catholic school versus homeschool. It's like, okay. Or Franciscan versus another place. It's any place can be a problem. Because if you want to go hunting for trouble, you can find trouble. If you want to grow, you can grow. Because, But some people need a little more fostering. Mm-hmm. But then they have to be toughened up at a certain point. So I'm not promoting, like, engaging actively and tempting them with sin. <laughs> That's obviously right. not the right thing. But in the sense where we have to recognize what the world's going to face us with. Because eventually, you can't isolate yourself anymore if you're going to live life. If you're going to be out, like otherwise you become, it becomes highly dysfunctional hmm. because you end up with this sort of insular navel gazing perspective, right? That you, you just, it, it becomes self-serving. It's no longer outward reaching. There are outward relationships with the family, but like the, like the parents and their kids become totally cut off from the rest of the world. And then they no longer, their kids no longer know how to relate to anybody else. Hmm. And it seems they start like, 
there seems to be a movement also of um, once you're in that kind of more isolating, you become more judgmental of your fellow Catholics as well. As it like sometimes it, it can be it's not universal, well, but sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, if it becomes so insular, it's like well. This is how, you know, if, oh, you don't homeschool your kids or like, mm. wait a second, you, you send your kids to public school, you know, like <laughs> you're not taking them to this, you know, you're not, you're not doing that or whatever. Like, well, obviously they're going to go off the rails and you guys are messed up as Catholics. Right. And we have the right way of doing it. And um, like, then you can start looking for trouble even within yeah, uh, yeah. sometimes, which would be really difficult. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, everything you were saying, unless you pulling Alex where you're going to live in Montana then, <laughs> you know, still the dream, still, still the, the dream. dream, still the but, dream. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's true. I think I'm obviously every child is different. So there's different needs and everything, but um, yeah, there's different ways. My youngest, my younger sister, she went to uh, St. Francis high school in Sacramento, uh, all girls Catholic high school. And it was really good for her. There was a lot of good things that came out of that. Uh, but yeah, like you were saying, I mean, it's, they're not cheap either. I think that was like 10,000 a year. Uh, so roughly paying like $40,000 for four years of high school. Yeah. A lot of people cannot do that. A lot of people cannot even get close to affording that. So like you said, what choice do you have? Um, going, you have to go either to a homeschool them or send them to mm-hmm. a public high school. And unfortunately that's just the reality of it. Uh, Cause you know, a lot of people don't have money for that. Uh, something earlier that you were saying that I wanted to go back to my uh, parents are family practice doctors and where I'm back from from. And when COVID started, they were working Monday through Friday, like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's going wild. No days off or anything because there were so many patients, so many there's different things that were happening, but they were able to keep the like the faith like in the same energy level that they have that they had had been growing up um <clears throat> like especially like with us being at home the kids just seeing my parents every day go through that and then coming home with a smile on their face cooking dinner for us and just being happy like it's such it's such an amazing thing like we were talking about the philosophy like you really learn like there's so much proof for God's existence through like those people that have been converting from like biology or like chemistry or engineering, all those people, doctors or whatever. There's so much evidence in the world that shows for God's, God's existence. People like doctors and everybody else, they see it. And I think that's such an important and very unique witness to the world because not everybody becomes a doctor. Right. Not everybody becomes a biologist or a chemistry chemist or a physicist like there's such a unique talent there for people to see the beauty of god and the actual evidence for his existence in the world because they have they have so much training my parents went through like 13 years of training they see everything on the macro level the micro level mm-hmm. <clears throat> everything and it's so beautiful that you can actually prove god's existence just through like the scientific form of it you know what i mean like experiencing real life experiencing like real, yeah. real life it's like that becomes your your motive for yeah it's and, and going back to what you're saying like we just have it all in our head right we have all these ideas and yeah and um and then you're like convinced oh yeah i'm an atheist and all this stuff and then you start dealing in this biology one of my favorite books uh dostoevsky um 
it's uh, called Demons or the Possessed. But there's one character named Nikolai who, total absurdist, ridiculously smart uh, atheist. And he has a, a friend named Shatov. And Shatov's like trying to get his belief in God away so he can become an atheist. But eventually he tells Nikolai like, you're an atheist because you're a snob. Ooh. That's what he says. <laughs> not, not, not because you're too smart and you figured it out. He said, you're a snob. Uh, he said, if you want to go find God, don't go reading more books. He said, go work peasants work for a year there and you'll you find your God. Yes. Wow. And yes. that's the solution is like, uh, like we were saying earlier, there's so many just things, uh, you know, like looking at cellular, like, oh my gosh, this is a desk that came from a, a seed that made a tree that made, and then somebody made it into a desk. Like, yep. God exists, you know, <laughs> like yeah, even yeah. from that, you can, you can start getting to those things. But um, yeah, it's that real life experience that really, I mean, there's so much in the world, you know yep. what I mean? And there's so much in the world we'll never see so many things that we'll never learn, but there's all these experiences that we have learned that are just so beautiful that just bring witness to people about God's existence. I mean, Amen. Like I said, I, I just feel so grateful that I'm Catholic. Like I literally told my priest back at home, and I was saying, I'm just, I feel like every time I go to confession, I just feel rejuvenated. You know I mean, I feel like I just feel renewed in my life with, with whatever I'm doing. Cause like, you know, I've obviously, I've been in mortal sin before and I'm not denying that, but like whenever I'm kind of in that state, I just feel like, and I know that Satan doesn't wants to just tear you down, but sometimes I just feel like I'm just useless and like I can't perform as well whatever I'm doing in my day just because that's always in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, whenever you go to confession and back in a state of grace, like my day, I just feel is so much more. I have so much more power like to the world and so much, so many things that I can do, just more confidence in myself. Like that's the power of the sacraments. You know what I mean? A lot of people take that for granted. Like I said, I'm not sure if we have confession as much as we want to, but when we go to it, it's such a, like a renewing, um, you know, reconciliate reconciliation, reconciling with God, the things that we have done. Cause it's such, it's such an, a, a unique and kind of mind blowing thing that God has endless mercy. You know what I mean? <laughs> why would God have endless mercy? If we keep messing up, why should he have mercy on us? God has an endless mercy and he helps people that are in the, in the most need. Like we were talking about St. Therese of Lisieux, right? The little flower. We also call her the little ball. Um, that was ball. her. From her autobiography. <laughs> from her autobiography. Uh, yeah. I don't know if ball. you read, uh, she had one section where she said, um, uh, after the little flower analogy, she said, and I also feel like, uh, sometimes I feel like Christ's little ball. He can uh, pick me up if he wants to play with me. He can yes. throw me against the corner and kind of <laughs> leave me there. Sometimes he punctures it and looks what's on the inside, forgets wow. about it for a while. And I was like, dang. That's pretty intense. It's pretty intense, yeah. She was tempted with so many things, had insomnia, like couldn't sleep, just all these different things. And those people are just regular people. You know yeah. what I mean? How do you reach like, out like to, to yeah. you know, people who are who don't believe in God, young people um, who don't have faith? Like, how do you reach out to them to to even start to like say, hey, maybe there is a God. Maybe this Catholic stuff actually. Yeah, like without know. scaring them initially. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> the most primary thing is relationship. I mean, it's kind of Pope Francis's big thing on encounter. Mm. They, it, so it's so it's a very it's a fine line to walk. It's tough. You really have to come in with your head up. Because it's not coming in and saying, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Like, we can be cautious and not say that. And yet, 
show that we care, to be a part of their life, to, to care about the things that are important to them. And then over time, like it's a long, it's a long game. It's a chess game. (laughs) If you want to look at it by, by way of analogy, it's not totally a thing of coming in and trying to manipulate them or Mm -hmm. control them because ultimately I'm not in control. You're not in control. Like they're in control of their own life. That's it. So we, there's only so much we can do, but the fact of the simple, the, the kind of simplest thing we can do is actually the most profound where it's a, a witness of a relationship that over time they're like, you know, there's something different about you. Like, what is that? And it'll come out in different ways and questions and stuff like that. Hmm. So by maybe by way of example, <laughs> I have a, a funny, funny little story in my, my own family. And um, so one of my sisters had been away from the church. She went to, uh, went to college and quit practicing and ended up getting married. And um, they had a couple kids, they had two kids and they weren't going, weren't going to mass. So my niece at four years old says, uh, says to my sister, she's 10 now. Uh, she says to my sister, mommy, when we stay at grandma and grandpaps, they take us to church. And when Aunt M comes and babysits us, she takes us to church. And Uncle Vince went to church and he stayed there. <laughs> so why don't we go to church? And, and they started going. Wow. Just slow, but slowly, yeah. slowly. And uh, it became more consistent. And then she got baptized and first communion. And yeah, they're on the right track. That's and, amazing. Yeah. And able to get the marriage convalidated get the annulment from before and it's all straightened out, but that's it's amazing. It's over time. I mean, that's a 10 year process. Mm. So you would hope it could come faster. Dang. <laughs> right. Dang. You would hope it could come faster, but <clears throat> depending, and, and some people can take it, can receive a more direct thing. Like sometimes the Holy spirit provides those opportunities, but sometimes it's, it's a slow, slow process of conversion. Think about Augustine for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, Monica wanted yeah. him to, to turn to the Lord, to receive the sacraments. Yet he didn't want it. So it had to, like all of us have to choose it in our own time. Because hmm. the, uh, you can't force it and even as much as we try. <laughs> right. So, so the thing of the, the most profound thing is to show that you care, that you love, and that the life I live is different than the life you live. Wow, that relationship, and it and it's it may be a long haul, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I, it may not just be like Peter preaching and three thousand are baptized, you know. Right, and, and it, but it might be. See, that's it might that, be too. See, yeah. that's the thing where the it's Holy crazy. Spirit sometimes works in really interesting ways. Like sometimes mm. it's like a huge, massive event. Yeah. Um, but other times it's like so much so it's very often just the one on one. I mean, you think about uh, Philip coming up on the Ethiopian eunuch. He just hears a guy reading Isaiah. Mm. Like, and the Holy Spirit says, go talk to him. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, he does. And then he reads it to him. He's like, and then the guy asks a question. Philip didn't say, you have to believe in Jesus. Mm. The, the, the eunuch actually asked, who's this about? And then he explained. So it's the thing where whenever we allow that space for someone to ask the question, then we can provide an answer. You're like providing an occasion for it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like by it's because whenever we come in and we're we're preaching at someone, I mean, because like street corner preaching, I get turned off by that. 
I'm sure most of us do. Mm-hmm. Like it's somebody walks up at the gas station. Have you met Jesus? <laughs> right. You're like, yeah, I'm baptized. Like we're good. <laughs> but I think for you, Friar, that uh, father would be a uh, walks up to a they, friar. Have you met Jesus? I, 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 honestly, I haven't encountered that personally okay, since I've become good. a friar. Nice. But <laughs> that would be pretty funny though. Yeah, I'd be like, yes, I, I dress like St. Francis. You got the stigmata. <laughs> do you wear, you wear that everywhere or generally, generally, like, but if you're, where would be a place that like, if you're out in the middle of the desert, right? Or like in the blazing heat, would you, would you wear that? I mean, it depends. I mean, why am I in the middle of the desert? Am I hiking or am I just on vacation? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a little vacation, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so like if I'm the only reason I'd be in the middle of a desert generally is like hiking on vacation or something like that. Okay. So in that case, no, I probably wouldn't. I'd be wearing like normal shorts and stuff. Do you so, like outdoor stuff? Oh, I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Any, anything to get me outside, like backpacking, camping, rock climbing. Oh, that's fun. That's so much fun. Are you that giving stuff here. like for Friar, what does free time kind of look like? I mean, it's you, a lot less than most people. That's true. <laughs> but do you guys have like a schedule of like throughout the year you get so many days off or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we work a lot of weekends so and weeks. So it, it's, it's a challenge that way, but constitutionally we're actually given um, one week of retreat or to take and, and then three, three weeks vacation. Okay. So that's pretty good. Yeah. And considering we don't usually even get full weekends on most occasions, yeah, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Like it's not Mm -hmm. like, it feels like a lot at first whenever you think about it, but then whenever you think a little further, you're like, "Eh." you're thinking like the whole weekend, you're totally full. It's not like us on Saturdays, like sleeping until 10 or something. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I mean, it's usually it's a little bit lighter. On like a Saturday, but not always, but on especially on campus. I mean, it's oh, right. yeah. all sorts of events and stuff. And you have mass too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so what that looks like then is usually a lot of friars will take like two weeks in the summer and one over Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And like, if you have family that you can go and visit, like I, I spent a, uh, a week with my parents this summer and then I spent a couple days and went with a couple of friars camping down in West Virginia, Seneca Rocks. Nice. Which is awesome. That's, Did that's some awesome. hiking. It was, it was really, really cool. And then I took a couple more days and went down. There's a friend of mine who's a sister in Texas in Amarillo, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, who professed her final vows. So I was able to go down and can celebrate the mass and, and be well, there, which was awesome. great. So, yeah. So And, and then I'll, prob- I'll take uh, a couple days around Christmas time after Christmas and go visit my parents. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Six sisters. Wow. No, no brothers? <laughs> Not a one. Are you the oldest? Nice. I'm in the middle. In the middle? So in the three, middle? three, me wow. and three. Dang. Yeah. Right. Now, now I have a lot of brothers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you have a lot more now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got you beat by two sisters. I have eight. Any brothers? Uh, two brothers. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So well, I got four sisters and no brothers. Okay. Yeah. And you're the youngest? No, no, no. Bella is younger. younger than me. Yeah. yeah. And I have three older, but yeah. In between six sisters. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how was that growing up? It was uh it was interesting. I tortured and spoiled. A little bit of both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, same. Same so thing like, for me. Same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm the oldest, so they're younger oh, than me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like me and dad had a lot of time just mm. because like we'd need each other to escape. <laughs> yeah. The only son with the yeah. six. Yeah. So we we go out and like cut firewood or go fishing or hunting or oh, something. Oh, that's like fine. That. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we but we spent a lot of time together as a family. Like we go visit our grandparents most weekends because they live, both live locally. Oh, cool. And uh yeah, just I'd work with my dad in the garage or work on plumbing jobs and stuff like that. Cause he was a plumber for a number of years. Oh, wow. Now, cool. he, now he works for the railroad. So, Dang, Oh wow. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So all sorts of stuff. 
that that's way. fun. So it was a lot of fun. And Central PA, that's where you're from? Yeah, about two and a half hours east of Steubenville. Okay, so Altoona, awesome. Altoona Johnstown area. Oh, cool. So near where the university yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, I went t- to, 20 minutes away from Loretto. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I went to uh, Penn State Altoona uh, last year. There was a game there that Francisco went to, but... No, it was, it was really nice. The drive there was really yeah, pretty. Yeah. Just cutting through it's the... It's beautiful. It's really pretty out there, yeah. Pretty rural. Yeah, it's pretty rural. Um, what highway do you take to get there? 22, all the way. Is 22... Okay, so where does 22 start technically? From here? Yeah. I mean, well, the well, bottom of the route or bottom of the hill. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> like, the, like the bridge is 22. Okay, and then it goes all the way... Through Pittsburgh. And, it, and 22 obviously goes west of here. And um, it also goes east across Pennsylvania. Okay. And you had your crazy drive from California. I had my crazy drive from California. That's, That's true. a fun drive. Yeah. We both drove over. Yeah. You guys, what road do you bring across? So if I go the 15 up through uh, Riverside, LA, and then okay. through Las Vegas, and then it branches off to the 70. Yep. And you stay on the 70 Forever. all the way, pretty much to Steubenville. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. 80 uh, pretty much starts in my hometown. Okay, so 80, you yeah. 80 across. Yeah, I went all the way 80. Uh, through all the way to Colorado. And then sometimes I'll take 70 or okay. sometimes I'll just stand 80. Um, 70 is really pretty. Uh, on the way back, so I don't know when it was. We've done, so the Cal and Alex show, we did like <laughs> nine, we call it infected streams. So right when COVID started, we did we did, we did infected <laughs> stream part this or whatever. Oh, we man. talked a lot about COVID. Um, we did a podcast March 5th. And this was before uh, spring break, before all this stuff. And we were all like, What's gonna happen? Out, like, so yeah. I, I, we were we were all freaking out. And this is before, like, I think the first thing that happened was the NBA canceled their games. Yeah, and then right. like some other sports teams canceled their games, and then all of a sudden and it was like the uh, Austria students went off. off and, so yeah, exactly. The the Austria students had to come back yep. and all that. Kind of a timeline. So you won't believe this. Right when COVID started, okay. So Alex calls me. I'm I'm just getting off of spring break. Alex calls me in a, in a minute Burger Mind King. You, you're in on a I, cruise. I was on a cruise ship oh, that geez. past week. I was on a cruise ship that whole week. So we're hearing about all these other cruises coming. They all infected. they yeah. all came in. Um, it was funny. So I was on a cruise that entire week, and it was crazy. We got an email that says Franciscan is closing uh, in-person classes for two weeks temporarily. I think right. that's what it was. Uh, and then after that, Alex calls me and he's like, I'm just going home because Alex was, you, he you figured. knew that it was going to get so my, my much My dad worse. was the one. He was like, just, just come home. They're not going to reopen. Yeah. So. so they didn't reopen. You called me and I was like, well, this is actually getting really bad. It's been going on for what? Eight months now? Six oh, months? Man, yeah. It's the new normal. It's been the new, new normal, normal for a while. Think you know? about though, like in a year or so when COVID's done, like nobody else is going to be wearing masks in public. Just think about how weird that's going to be. You know I mean? You'll see people's faces. Just again. see people's faces and not wearing masks. You know what I mean? You know, it's I've been be really happy with how like, you know, Franciscan, we've had the social distancing, mask wearing and, you know, sanitizing right. desks and stuff, but like we're having classes in yeah, person, yeah, yeah. you know, we're not, we're not like Notre Dame. They got shut down for a while or UNC or yeah, whatever. Yeah. The numbers like, have stayed really low. We've been really compliant. It's yeah. worked well. And it's it's really a testament to administration, the friars, and, and everyone Father for, Dave just for him as well, and his for his the guts, professors man. working with it. <laughs> yeah, you know? he's got some was, serious guts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you guys having so many masses and, and confessions, man. For me coming back and having like regular masses and confessions, especially with my parish, because uh, in California they were they were still not allowing indoor anything yeah. for masses, wow. confessions, even with social distancing and masks. Well, I remember and, there uh, was a there was a point during the middle of lockdowns and everything there were people we'd have 
confessions, I think once a week for maybe an hour and a half. And all the friars would go over to Egan. We'd set up and there'd be people coming in from a lot of different places Wow! because where they were, they couldn't have confession. Like a couple hours away or something. And this yeah. was around the Easter Se- season. Several hours. Oh. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. So it was a really beautiful thing to see the, the faith uh, of people because it had, it had been a significant amount of time. And obviously the Lord is merciful, but in the sense of knowing themselves and their desire to grow. Mm. Like they, Especially in a tough time for everybody. Like yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah. losing their jobs. Well, so, so Being stressful. at home with all your family all the time, which right. for a lot of people was not just an occasion of great fun, especially if finances <laughs> were tough or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. And that's, and you guys having confession, I, I bet, yeah, I bet people are coming from all over to, to come to that. And um, yeah. And then Easter, oh not having gosh. Easter mass. Oh just, my goodness. I bet for, for you friars, like the Easter celebration and having everyone on campus must've been just, just devastating. It was, it was so, so different. Now it, it was a little bit different for us because as friars, we still have community. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, you st- you guys still. Together. There's still 14 of us. You guys stick together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we actually we were live streaming masses out of the Friary Chapel mm-hmm. whenever there were no public masses on campus, and uh, we did the Easter vigil in the Friary. We set up. We had the uh, the Easter fire outside. Oh, that's awesome. Father, yeah. or now Father Danny Maria, then Deacon, almost caught on fire. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> it was what? it was a pretty good bonfire. It's like the like a good six feet high when at its peak, and he was. You got a little bit close there for a bit. (laughs) We were concerned. Uh, We were concerned. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. It was wild. Who was the one like tending the fire? Because usually they have like the altar. So it was me and uh, me and Father Jonathan McElhone were the the ones who made made the fire. And we're like tending to it and stuff. Well, we just we just prepped it all and got it all piled up and it was ready to go. And it was so uh, good. It was like dry wood and it just kind of took off. It was it was a little bigger than we expected. (laughs) But it was fun. Yeah, and then we one of the ventures was really interesting was uh, was getting into the technology to live stream everything. Oh yeah! At first we did YouTube, then we did Facebook, and then finally we uh, figured out there was a better better method through uh, through the IT department and athletics on campus. Like they got us connected. Teak. Oh, cool! Teak yeah. was awesome. <laughs> oh, nice! Awesome. Yeah, and they uh, did you guys use Marcom? And they re- yeah, now it's Boxcast. Yeah, and that works out so well. It's what all the sports but teams use. Just trying to figure out like. Going from a cell phone to like a mediocre camera to a really good camera. Good is good. Uh, good training for you guys. I mean, that's what we that's what we do in Comarts at pretty much every day. It's an interesting thing. Like it seems like there there are different. Like as bad as COVID is, there's also some good little silver yeah, linings weird, to it. Yeah. Like now the church has been forced into the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It, it, as We're tagging like, that. As, as far as like humanity and the <laughs> the technological skill of the clergy and the people in parishes, like it's, we've been forced into it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So not in the sense of like morality. Cause ethics, like every so. parish had to like figure out, wait a second, how can we live stream? How can we <laughs> yeah, live stream yeah, yeah. for Easter and other like stuff? We have to run ethernet lines and hook up laptops yeah. And, yeah. Or, or just use a phone. And then you have like the crazy situations where like a, I think it was a priest in Italy had like the weird uh, overlays. He had like, was like the weird masks and stuff that would just like you, you the filters you can select on your phone. <laughs> no Wait, during mass, like the whole time he had like this weird fake head on <laughs> that was like digi- digitally digitally. Wait, 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 what was he intending that no, or not? No, no. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. no. Oh, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. No. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then you have like all the ones where it's like way up in their face or they're way too far away. You can't hear anything. Oh. Like, it's, <laughs> I bet there's like, so many good. Like the technological like skills that. have really uh, come a long way in six months. <laughs> oh, jeez. I got to find that video. Oh, it's that. out there. It's oh, out there. That's with the filter funny. on the whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the people who were watching it were just like, do I still watch this master? Do I, do I turn on something else or what do I do at this point? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's forced everyone to to do all the on and and you know it, it stinks is is no substitute for in person no, no, no. you know and um i and, and people implicitly realize that and you know people are are ready to to try and get back in in you know safe ways as they can mm-hmm. and um but uh it's yeah it this is just a an event there's going to be a before and after there's going to be how we did things before how we do things after hopefully the after will look a lot more normal like it was um but people won't won't forget how it was, you know. I won't forget oh, no. how it was for March and April. And I remember driving in San Diego, and we have like these huge, like eight lane highways on both <laughs> sides and stuff. And there was like no one on the roads, and um, no one at all. And I was just like, it's just creepy. It's just a ghost town. Like everyone's yeah. left. Everyone's Every, gone. Everywhere, everywhere was a ghost. The town rapture too. has happened. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, because not having Easter Mass was um, oh, not having an Easter season. It was just weird because I. You know, I think all of us as Catholics, like we have this just seasonal calendar clock to just our souls and our our what it means to be Catholic. And when yeah. I when we didn't have that Easter celebration, I just felt, um, you know, and and offering it to the Lord and all that. But uh, it it really was a uh, yeah, it was a, a, a sacrifice and and not getting to come together with everyone. I mean, obviously it happened for everybody, but you really can't replace. You can't just you can't put to the side. That Easter season is so crucial for the church in her self-understanding and in the liturgy and in the calendar. And it is our greatest feats, yeah, our greatest Amen. Because we are an Easter people, right? And yeah. so not yeah, like not having Easter was so weird. It was the not weirdest, strangest feeling I've ever had. And it was just like a Sunday and I was like, oh, it's Divine Mercy Sunday. I'm like, wait, last week we had two weeks ago was Easter or whatever. It's just like... Just another Sunday. I'm at home. Day, yeah. I'm sitting at home doing the same things I've been doing. So. Felt like the longest Lent ever. <laughs> yeah, Lent never ended. Good yeah. point. I shaved my beard in between. Uh, Alex's beard was uh, down to here. Funny yeah. story. So Alex and I on Easter. On Easter. When I, it. I was a new man. Alex yeah. and I, we I think we probably started to hang out. It was our sophomore year because we both transferred, right? So we started hanging out. Then eventually we did our own podcast, but. Um. At the end of the first year, right? Yeah, end of first year because I went. We went to Austria junior fall. So at the end of our first year here, which was the end of our sophomore, we were going into juniors. Uh, Alex, I didn't realize that he had this that he had a long beard. So I was walking into the Mensa, and right, right when I walked in, or right when I was about to walk in, Alex opened the door and walked out. <laughs> and I, for a split second, I didn't notice him because of his massive beard. But then it clicked. That's Alex. It was just like your massive beard. And then you're like, I was just like, dude, that's the best. How long did it take you to grow that thing? I was like, dude, this thing is like, didn't reckon I did it for a split second. And then it was going to be, so I had it for like a year or whatever. And then on Easter, it was going to be like, cut it off, go to the Easter vigil mass, you know, like surprise friends and whatever. And then, and yeah, then your, I did it at home. And we actually, line. we live streamed it. <laughs> I live streamed stream shaving his beard. Uh, yeah. Wow. And then my brother, Paul, completely shaved his head at the same time too. So, um, and then uh, that was our Easter celebration. <laughs> doing clean shaven. And um, what did uh, Easter look like for you guys back on campus? Well, so <clears throat> as far as the friars go, it was, it, 
basically within the friary. So, so was it weird not having any students? Oh, there? it was totally weird. Oh, that was like the whole so time because because going kind of going back to the beginning, it was this shift because so much of what we do is integrated with the life of the students. Like mm-hmm. year round, we didn't have any summer conferences. We didn't have any students for confessions, so masses, weird. anything like that. Just a couple of people who still lived on campus or off campus and stuck around. Uh, some faculty and staff. And uh, so Easter, yeah, like it, it was good. Be, it was good as it could be because we still had the 14 fires there. We had a community to celebrate Easter with. And as all of us on campus right now are priests, we could still celebrate mass. But to not be able to share it outwardly was just so hard. Oh, was sad. Yeah, that's supposed to mean. Like it was, so it was joy mixed with a sadness. The saddest thing, there was no resurrection party. No that party, party <laughs> was so good. Oh, that party was so good. Like oh man, hundreds of boxes of pizza There's or whatever. Like Easter at Franciscan, there really is. Oh, we, we do it up. Like it. We do it up. Dude, oh man, three hour it's, mass. Three hour mass. Hours. Vigil. Oh, yeah, you, do, you do all the readings. Like, all the re- it's like ten readings. That's right. We do all seven. Uh, yeah, it's great. The singing's phenomenal, and the processions, and then you know the baptisms and the confirmation. <sighs> just thinking about it, I'm just. Oh, it's so good at Franciscan. I, I once again testament to the friars. You guys do a fantastic job making that, and and all the masses too. Um, but especially Easter, and and the lead up to you know all, the Holy Week, Holy Thursday Mass, right? And, and Good Friday, the celebrations, and like people take it on the living li- stations. The living day. stations, yeah. Um, I I remember, yeah, doing the uh, stations of the cross outside, and like everyone gets. All into it, oh, all yeah. for Holy Week. Everyone does. Um, most people stay on campus too, and most people don't really leave. And yeah, yeah. Well, who wants to? Who wants to miss out? Miss you know? that, yeah. And go home. Uh, so next Easter, <laughs> definitely having that. You know? Next Easter, praise God. If, if we if if we're uh, you know, I think COVID should be over by then. Hopefully, I mean, at this point, we've kind of shown that we can manage it. We can manage yeah. it, right? Yeah. Hmm. Like yeah. we've been here since August, and. Yeah, we're still able to make it work. So I think we should be able to. My, my guess is I think we'll be able to make it work for the spring. Yeah. I like that, okay. just that sense of resolve. You know what I mean? Like at Franciscan and especially the Friars just like want to make things work. Because I think especially for you guys, because Friars, especially for you guys, you guys are integrated with the students, right? Like there's other Friars that aren't with students, obviously, right? Like they just have their own like. Other, other places. Other places yeah, yeah, that yeah. just like. So. Yeah, just a little bit. Talk about like that. Like you knew what you were getting into, like coming to the university and being with the students. <laughs> yeah. Kind of why did you want to choose that path to be with the students? Well, it's an interesting thing because uh, so much of what we end up doing, like I I was asked to be vocation director. So like you have to go back to the sense of our community. So we we elect a minister provincial. So the superior of our community and he, with his council decides where we go and what we do. So they can come to a decision and ask us like, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? Or would you be willing to do this? But it can, it can still come down to the sense of that vow of obedience and say, you're doing this. (laughs) (laughs) But usually at this point, there's some, some level of discussion like, Hey, look, would you take some time? Think about this, pray about this. Like, does this seem like something you'd be, willing to do be able to do and uh so as vocation director i was asked to do that and then it was kind of a toss-up between being here or at saint francis and um honestly 
as friars, as a as a province, a lot of the guys who have come through and joined the TOR friars and are currently even in formation have come from Franciscan. It's not universal, wow. but I'd say probably 50% of our friars who've, at least in recent years, come through formation have come from here. Hmm. Because it's such a such a great place. I mean, if you want to, I think there was a study came out, just statistics of which college the most priests and religious came from. It's here. That's amazing. Like wow. like awesome. America wide, across the whole U.S. Like here. That's crazy. That's yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe as we're getting like it's getting close to four. Sure. Um, like what what do you see? Um, Franciscan and like our mission, like how do we better serve the church here? Like what is, what would you say is our main service to the church with Franciscan university? Like what the friars here, the TOR, like their mission with Franciscan, um, what, what do you think is the main service we're providing to the church in that? So I think one of the things that like are, so because the, the friars, I mean, it's our, it's our school effectively. Yeah. <laughs> like right. we started it and we've, it's, it's within our, our oversight, but it's not just us. It's the whole community. So it's friars, faculty, staff, students, their right. families, everybody who's interconnected. But one of the key things I think that we can, we can do because there's so much division, so much division right now. And you, we can see it in pockets here and there, even on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think that what we can offer the church is a way to be vibrantly and passionately Catholic, recognizing the breadth of the church without calling each other heretics. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, so, that's really interesting. So yeah. It's, so it's this witness of realizing, okay, like there are different rights within the church. There are 24 different rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so you have Roman Catholic, but then you have all the Eastern rites that are already in union with Rome, let alone like Russian Orthodox and yeah. Eastern Orthodox. We're having a Byzantine liturgy yeah, on yeah, Sunday, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. So like to see that, to see the extraordinary form, to see the ordinary form, to see uh, the different schools of theology, Thomistic and Bonaventurian, Augustinian track. Yeah. Like you, you have this diversity of theological thought, this diversity of what that looks like. Obviously, there are certain limits to it, but I think we can, and we're already doing it, so to continue it, but to further it, because this, uh, like the core spirituality, the core charism of the the Franciscan friars, third order regular, is ongoing conversion. Mm -hmm. So it's, somebody asked the question once to one of the friars, they said, oh, well, what makes that different than the universal call to holiness? Well, in some sense, it's not. But it's interesting because that kind of gets at the core of the theology of religious life. Because religious life, in its core essence, is a further living out of baptism. So it's not a change. It's a furthering or deepening. So in the same way, like the charism of our, our order is conversion. So it's a further living out of that call to holiness. So we can all sort of, as it's already the part of the core identity of the university, that can be brought to the church. 
so it's accessible. Wow. Like we don't have to have some far flung abstract and crazy thought of like what new newfangled thing is going to. Yeah. It's going to solve all the church yeah, like problems. save the church. It's like, no, it's real simple. It's like holiness. <laughs> holiness. Yeah. But the diversity of what yeah, yeah, yeah. that looks like being a Catholic. Wow. Right. Right. Like Jesus wasn't a nice guy, but Jesus like in the sense of like, the quote unquote. Oh yeah, nice. just like flattery or whatever. Yeah, no, yeah, like definitely like, not. He like called he, you know like he the Pharisees like whitewashed tombs and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> but he was. This is the thing where like Jesus was merciful to those who were weak, mm. to those who were wounded, those who were in sin, but sort of like your prostitutes, your tax collectors, like the list, like that. He was very patient mm. and kind. The woman brought before him caught in adultery. Like he did not yell at her. <laughs> oh no, yeah. However, he was extremely direct to those who were caught in their own pride. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so in that sense where we just have to navigate our own, like working with the Lord, responding to his grace, growing in holiness. And then at the same time, serving that witness to the world where we can show that it's livable and that it's worth it and it's joyful. Wow. Dang. That's wow. the beauty of Franciscan University. That's Amen. Awesome. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, because like all, all in all, and I'll, I'll sum up with this, is like, because as Franciscans, with Francis at the identity, at the at the core, and the only reason we follow Francis is because he followed Jesus. Right. And he followed Jesus. It was in the sequence, actually, at the Feast of Francis, which was, I don't know if you were at the 10. Yes. Oh, man, they did such a great job. But the the idea that he lived it perfectly. Obviously, Mary foremost, but right. <laughs> in the sense of like he lived it so so perfectly that he received the stigmata. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So like we can follow how he did it, if that's where the Lord has called us. Obviously, there's different spiritualities within the Catholic Church, but if we're here, we're called to emulate that in some way. So that conformity to Christ to such a degree that He changes us. Wow, and that beauty that Francis, we're we're bringing that with Franciscan University, you know. Amen. Amen, Amen to that. Father, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is thanks been so wonderful. much, Father. This is awesome. Yeah, Appreciate yeah. you coming. Great we're gonna to try to here. get we're gonna try to get more friars on. Hopefully, we can get you know Father Dave on. Would we'll see. Yeah, well, he's doing one with yeah. uh, Dr. Bob Rice on a regular basis. Oh yeah, we uh, saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What's the name that? of theirs? Their uh, podcast. What was it? Those. Those that hope. Those that is. hope, yeah, 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 I think I've seen that as well. And uh, are these that hope something? These that hope, signs. okay, right, man. <laughs> the beauty of uh, yeah, and Francis, uh, I mean, how he impacted the church. There's almost no one like him right. in the history, and um, we're bringing a small bit of that with Franciscan University and Am trying I? to trying <laughs> to change it. And and um, yeah, we're very blessed to have you, friars here, um, like all of you in your ministry. It's um, that's yeah, a real testament to all of us. So. So thank you for doing that. Praise God. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. Kellen and Alex show. Thank you so much, Father, for being on. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. Peace out, guys. If there's a Christian religion, then it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop a uh, nuke on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex show.